Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Today we have Joseph Anthony. Joseph Anthony is a local author and retired professor. He was born in New Jersey, but managed to find his way to the heaven that is Kentucky through a teaching position at Hazard Community College. His work includes Pickering Mountain, Wanted Good Family, Bluegrass Funeral, Camden Blues, Peril, Kentucky, and his latest release, Wounded Snake, which explores how the rule of law can be manipulated and abused. As in the cases of RCO Robert Charles O'Hara Benjamin, a black journalist and lawyer who was fatally shot in Lexington, Kentucky in 1900 for helping register black voters. Welcome, Mr. Anthony. We are happy for you to join us. Thanks for having me. All right. So today we're going to be discussing your latest release, Wounded Snake, which is a wonderful book. I highly recommend all Lexingtonians read it, as well as everybody else that's listening to the podcast. So in Wounded Snake, you explored the life of RCO Benjamin Robert Charles O'Hara as brought to life through the eyes of a young black man named Noah Webster. Can you tell us a little bit more about RCO Benjamin's life? Well, he was he was quite a character. He came to Lexington late. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was almost 40 when he came to Lexington. Mm-hmm. He was the editor of the Lexington Standard, which was an African-American uh, newspaper. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ran for Congress. He was one of the first lawyers, uh, African-American lawyers, mm-hmm. in front of the bar. He was a, sometimes a preacher. He was quite quite fierce at times. I'll read you a real column. We don't have much that is real. In the book, (laughs) I make up, uh, I make, we only have three extant copies of the Lexington Standard. Yeah. And uh, this column that I quote in the beginning Mm -hmm. is his. His writing. Uh, Yes. Other columns in the book I've made up, which was fun, but uh, this one. And here he is talking about an incident uh, in Alabama mm-hmm. where uh, a young African-American man has killed a couple deputies and the sheriff, wounded the sheriff, uh, come to drive them off their land. And he writes, if they're going to kill us, then we should go down fighting. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Are we to be lynched, burned at the stake, and to be totally annihilated by the white man as we peacefully sit by? Shoot and shoot, kill and kill, fight and fight, curse and curse, damn and damn, hooray, hooray for William Littlefield. Well, yeah, he the, didn't take anything standing, sitting down. <laughs> he didn't. That was his most radical. Yeah. Uh, usually he calmed down. But the Morning Herald, we had two other major newspapers mm-hmm. at the time. We had several others. But the Morning Herald, and when we had the Lexington Leader, the Morning Herald, printed that entire column. That's why I got it. Mm. And said, look what our local black editor is talking about. So it got him in trouble early on. Yeah. 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 But usually he tried reform that that was more moderate Mm -hmm. and sensible. Yeah. And uh, as registering the vote, Mm -hmm. he really pushed that for African-Americans. Yeah, he was uh, a very big advocate. He was a very big advocate. And uh, 
He's a very interesting man. Yeah. Very yeah. It, it seems so from from the story. And you use um, the character of Noah to kind of bring the light on Benjamin. But he, he sort of struggles, Noah, between um, the activism of RCO and his mentor and his mother, who is a little more passive and kind of uh, accepting of the condition of, of, of the African-Americans here in Lexington, at least on the surface. I would, I, I would not say she was passive. Mm-hmm. She's an African-American mother mm-hmm. with a, an ambitious son, mm-hmm. and she's afraid. Yeah. Worried about him. She's afraid that he's going to be killed, yes. <laughs> literally, and that's a very real danger. And uh, in the beginning of the book, uh, he's he's a young man, Noah, who's intelligent, badly educated, mm-hmm. as he would be, and uh, but self-taught. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's between those two lines. Yeah. Uh, mother saying, "Be careful." Mm-hmm. Everybody's telling him to be careful. Mm-hmm. And Benjamin, who tells him you can care for yourself out of a life, yep. you know. And so he he has to struggle between those two. Yeah. I and wouldn't say she was passive. Jesus and Moses as kind of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to yeah. kind of represent the two different paths. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I like her as a character a lot. Yeah. She's a wonderful woman but she is it was realistic of a lot of mothers i think at the time kind of worried about their children and and, well, and, the, and the fight I, for i i'd for say equality. right now african-american mothers are yes. still worried about their sons yes, of course and yes. their daughters but yes. their sons perhaps a bit more yes yeah yes definitely so your novel doesn't stray much from actual historical events you do take some liberties i do um, <laughs> But you portray many historical figures like Benjamin, of course, and then um, Judge Frank Bullock and, and Billy Clare and Madeline Breckenridge. Is that something that you feel is important is to stick to history as much as possible? Or do you think it's important to exaggerate some, some things to create? Um, I don't exaggerate, drama? I don't think. But I'm a novelist yes. and not a historian. And so I believe there's a novelist's truth. Mm-hmm. And there's a historian's truth. But historians just write down facts on paper. Mm -hmm. For example, I have Benjamin speaking a lot to other people. He's not a narrator. I wouldn't Mm -hmm. do that. Uh, But, of course, I'm imagining what he would say. So there I've strayed, right? (laughs) Later on in the book, there's a Cadentown riot, which did take place Mm -hmm. uh, where 11 or 12 African-American women were protesting, it was called a riot, it wasn't, protesting against the Democratic machine mm-hmm. run by Billy Clare, who was a real-life politician, yeah. uh, and Frank Bullock, Judge Frank Bullock, protesting against them taking over the county-colored school system yes. and putting in machine-placed teachers. Yeah. And they were protesting. They were mostly protesting, or a great deal protesting, against Green Pinckney Russell, our Russell mm-hmm. School, yeah. who they felt and other people felt were, was a machine politician. He's mm-hmm. been honored by naming him a school. He was an African-American educator, mm-hmm. pretty good in the beginning of his career, but pretty machine-like later on. Yeah. Anyway, that happened. They were arrested under the Ku Klux Klan law, which is 
a law they resurrected, not against the Ku Klux Klan, mm-hmm. but against a group persecuting an individual. The individual they said they these women thinking, were persecuting yeah. against was a machine replacement teacher sent out. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's so that's true. But all the circumstances of the arrest and the riot and the violence that go on, I'm afraid I'm I novelistically imagined. <laughs> yeah. But I mean it could have happened. It yes, have it happened. could have happened, right. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, you, you did use a lot of obvious real-life people. Um, how did you gain insight into the characters, especially Madeline Breckenridge? I found her interactions with Benjamin's wife, Maria Lulu, very interesting. Yeah. Uh, in terms of especially, like, um, you know, suffragettes and, and its link to the black vote and her wanting to appear like she's advocating for, for both causes. Yeah. Um, I just found her character very interesting. How did you gain insight into her? Well, she's probably the most famous real-life character in the mm-hmm. book, Madeline yeah. McDowell Breckenridge. And she's a wonderful woman in many ways. Those yeah. of you who love her. <laughs> but she was... She had the racism of her day and the classism. She was very much. And it's very interesting. For those people who don't know, uh, Kentucky women from around 1894 on had a very limited franchise. They could vote in school board elections. Mm -hmm. And in second-class cities, that included Lexington. It did not include the only first-class city we had, Louisville. Mm -hmm whose legislature said their women weren't interested in the vote. Wow. <laughs> and so in the 1894-95, I'm getting them confused here, election when there was a low turnout of women in Lexington, it played into the hands of those legislators who said real ladies weren't interested in the vote. <laughs> so it was very important to get more women out. Yeah. And Madeline McDowell, Breckenridge, and others wanted to get this untapped source, African-American women out. But then they had the terrible contradiction of too many black women out, and that was what happened in the 1901 election. Not too many, but a huge number. Sixty-some percent of the women voters were African-American, and that was played into the racism of the opposition. Of course. And then Madeline McDowell, Breckenridge, and others withdrew Mm-hmm. So there was a kind of at least passive betrayal yeah. of these ladies. Yeah. I got a lot of this from uh, uh, Professor Randolph Hollingsworth and her wonderful articles on this. Yeah. So that was, uh, yeah. was very interesting. Thank you interesting. for mentioning that because I know a lot of our um, listeners like to research history. Yeah. And that's, um, that would be very interesting to them. Why do you think Benjamin's position as a editor of a newspaper was so threatening to a lot of people, and it instilled a little bit of hostility from people like Claire. Oh. Uh, And it has such power at the time. Is it just because newspapers were so influential, or is it, what is it exactly? Well, newspapers were very influential. Mm -hmm. They were the only source of our news. We didn't have cable or anything like that. And uh, uh, people read them Mm -hmm. uh, in great deal. I, I think uh, Kentucky is so interesting to write about mm-hmm. because it is a border state. Yeah. And it wasn't uh, in the book. I refer to Alabama and Mississippi quite a bit. And really horrible things are going on down there. Horrible things are going on in Kentucky, too. Mm-hmm. But Kentucky was 
lucky to have a balance of power in the state. The Republicans were the party for the African Americans, the great majority of them. And the Republicans couldn't get power without the African American vote. Not that they were civil writers, but they protected African Americans enough Just. to protect that base. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. right. Just enough. Just enough. Not too much, or they'd be in the position of being the black party and they'd never get power. Yeah. So it's interesting. Lexington itself was much more heavily African American mm -hmm. at the time. Just about 50% of the city, yeah. and sometimes more than 50% of the city was African American. Yeah. So. But the state as a whole was never more than 15, 20%. It's not like Alabama and Mississippi that were really sometimes majority black, mm -hmm. you know, depending on what statistics you're looking at. Yeah. yeah. So the novel ends with the account of the 1920 murder trial of Will Lockett and the subsequent riot. Can you tell us a little bit about that piece of Lexington history for the listeners that are not familiar with that? Um, I found it very interesting. You know, Noah's grown. He's become a lawyer, and I'm not ruining anything for, for the listeners. <laughs> You'll find that out when you read the book. But just tell us a little bit about that murder trial and, and, and the riot that ensued after it. Well, it wasn't much of a trial. It was a 35-minute trial, and that included the time for the jurors to sign their forms and stuff. So the whole thing took mm -hmm. 35 minutes. But it was hailed. Uh, this is a... I'm sorry, Will Lockhart was uh, accused and confessed to killing a 10-year-old white girl out in the county, Geneva Hartman. Whether he did it or not is very problematic. Yeah. He was, uh, of course, not given the benefit of a lawyer. He was confused. And we know now, what they didn't know then, that there's up to 30% false confessions yes. under terrible conditions. And there's, there's a fair amount of evidence that suggests that he couldn't have done it. You know, there was never any physical evidence that he did. And there was, uh, we see that the footprints going into the field where the little girl was killed are very calm. They walk together, and then there's a struggle in the field. We suggest to many people that the little girl knew the person that she who was, was she was walking which which is the case for many many child most children are murdered by people they know yes or, or even relatives mm -hmm. but uh anyway whatever it was that we had uh they was hailed lexington was hailed because they didn't lynch him like mm -hmm. that a lot of people had been lynched this is 1920 10 kentucky black servicemen had been lynched in 1919. Yeah. Ten. So just the prior so yeah. it was a great deal of tension. Mm -hmm. World War I had given black soldiers a certain status that mm -hmm. the whole South, the whole country, was resisting. And Despite he was their service ex during World War I. Well, because of their service. Yeah. They, they were afraid that they would expect <laughs> uh, equal treatment, yeah. which was a horror to most people. Well, anyway, Lexington was praised nationwide for having a trial instead of lynching him. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't much of a trial. Yeah. And in front of the courthouse, there was a mob of about 5,000 Lexingtonians. Now, they hadn't all gathered for his trial. It was court day. And they had gathered for court day. Court day is a farm sale yeah. 
You know, we used to have a big court day here in Lexington. And uh, they had gathered and they were protesting. And while the trial's going on, they hear this mob yelling for blood, you know, literally. Mm -hmm. And hurry up. And the jury didn't even leave their box because they didn't have enough time to do that. And then this is the terrible irony of it. Only you can't. This is where as a fiction writer, I would never, never make this kind of thing up. Mm -hmm. In the crowd, the crowd was mostly just yelling and sit, standing there. And there was an early movie camera taking pictures of this crowd. But they couldn't hear the shouts. It's mm -hmm. silent, of course. And uh, uh, a movie director urges people in the beginning of the crowd to look like they're going to charge the building so he can get some, get some action. Wow. So they do that. But the people in the middle and the back think they're really charging. So they charge. Wow. And then the, the guards open up mm -hmm. and they kill six and wound 50. Mostly That's because tragic. this movie director wanted some action. Wow. Well, he didn't want that kind of action. But, but he uh, was egging them. He was egging them on. And then the rest of the crowd said, oh, they're, we are charging. And they charged. And yeah. So that... Is that right? <laughs> that, that is unbelievable. Yeah. yeah. So that's the thing you can't make up as a novelist or a fiction writer. <laughs> People say, "Wow, oh, come on, get real." Yeah. I <laughs> that wonder if that happen. footage still still exists. Oh, I'm sure. Gee, yeah, <laughs> probably not. There are still photos yeah. of the crowd, but yeah. So, yeah. Unfortunately, of course, he was found guilty and then hung thirty days. 30 uh, days. Kentucky had constitution said. You can't hang uh, before 30 days. Mm -hmm. So 30 days he was hanged. And then he admitted killing other four other people, which at first say, oh, he must have been guilty. Mm -hmm. But we never have been able to find those four other people, Yeah, which makes it less probable that he was guilty. He was mm -hmm. mentally deranged by that time and confessing to all sorts of... It's very hard to believe that yeah. he could have... Killed four other people and nobody knows who they were. Yeah, or, or what even happened. like reported that these people are missing. Or, right. Yeah. Or that even there no investigation happened. Um, Very brief one, yeah. and then they couldn't find anything and they gave it up. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting in hindsight to see. You know, maybe he he was a World War One veteran. Anything could have propelled him to confess to such a thing. You know, everything from mental illness to PTSD to to a crowd demanding right, it. Exactly. Or, and um, the studies on false confession that go all the way from, I'll tell you what you want to hear, mm -hmm. if and then you'll let me go. Well, yeah. of course, they're not going to let you go. Of course but, not. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of pieces of Lexington history that folks like you who um, enjoy using the Kentucky Room bring to light, and I think it's it's important to highlight that. I love the Kentucky Room. Oh, good. Good. <laughs> we enjoy having you. So you do still come to the Kentucky Room. Are you working on another novel, or what are you working on? Well, uh, Probably the worst question any author. <laughs> I don't know if I am yet or not. I I'm, I noticed, for example, that we had, Kentucky had eight miscegenation laws, miscegenation mm. and mixing of the races. Yes. And I wondered why we needed eight. <laughs> so I looked when it up. When we do things, we do things big here in Kentucky. <laughs> well, sometimes they're very redundant. Yes. It says no person of color can marry white. Yeah. And then the next law next year says no white can marry any person of color. I thought we covered that the year before. <laughs> but sometimes they're more precise mm -hmm. than we include Native Americans in this. Or we include uh, fornication. Mm -hmm. And the penalties grow bigger. So yeah. I thought I'd, I'd explore that, that yeah. more. And I found a 1930 case in Lexington, mm -hmm. 
which is pretty interesting. Are you the kind of writer that likes to kind of pause between work? So kind of gather your thoughts or just kind of, you know, yeah. or do you just you hit the ground running? <laughs> oh, no, I, I'm pauser. I'm pause. a pauser. Okay. Trollope, you know, is <laughs> with his 49 novels or something. Would If he finished a novel mid-morning, mm-hmm. he'd start a new one oh. that morning. Wow. <laughs> Anthony that's Trollope. Amazing. That's amazing. It is amazing. Yeah. Well, that's why he has 49 novels and I have six. <laughs> Six very well-written ones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you very much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, thank you for joining us, Mr. Anthony. We really, really appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to us. Well, thanks for And we look me. forward to talk to you uh, in your next book. Okay. All thank right. you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm, or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at lexpublib.org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.